every year when we start studying on the resurrection, I always try and put myself in the position of the what the disciples were going through. And I can't imagine. You know, the world tells us that Christ was crucified on Friday, but most likely it was on Wednesday. If you read the scripture, it kind of gives us a detailed explanation of that. So that means that he was crucified on Wednesday and went to the grave on Wednesday before sundown. And then Thursday and Friday and Saturday, the disciples had to live with the fact that Jesus was gone. At least they thought he was gone. Most of us have experienced death and you know, there's that first initial reaction that it's not real, it's not true, it didn't happen. We have that state of denial, even with all the facts, and I'm sure they went through that too, that even though they'd seen him crucified, seen him laid in the tomb, they had to believe that he wasn't dead. He wasn't really gone. But by Saturday, the reality had set in. Imagine there's depression and despair, fear, and then Sunday came. Sunday came and the stone was rolled away. The stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out. I imagine there's probably still some doubt that he was alive at that point. But he appeared before them and settled those doubts. It's important that we study the resurrection. It's important that we don't just take it for granted. It seems like today that we're so casual and flippant about it that we don't even really think about it till the day comes. We don't try and think about what the world was like then or what the world is like now and how much the, the world needs Jesus Christ today. How important it is for us to proclaim a resurrected Christ. Our world is bad. The world was bad then, too. All through history, we've seen atrocities taking place. And all through history, we've seen horrible, horrible things that men have done to each other. And today's no different. And we need to remember the resurrection. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number 28, if you want to turn there. Very, very quickly... I want to look at eight things that we need to remember about the resurrection. I say quickly because normally I have three points, sometimes five. Today we got eight. Nobody had plans later on today, right? No egg hunts or dinners or family gatherings. So you guys are good for all day, right? All right, very good. I'll take my time then. Let's read through the first ten verses of Matthew chapter number 28. And then we'll go back and look at some of the things that we need to remember. Matthew chapter 28, we'll start reading in verse number 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, that is, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you unto Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great fear and great joy, and did run to bring the disciples his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, "All hail!" And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. 
Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Our resurrected Christ. We talked last week a lot about the difference between Christ and all those others that have claimed to be Christ or a type of Christ throughout the ages and continue. And the startling difference is that they're all the same in their death. They all die. But only one arose from the grave. Only Jesus Christ. So let's quickly, let's look at these eight things that we want to look at this morning. Verse number one, it says, The end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. I want you to look at the heart of Mary. Mary Magdalene is, is a woman that, even though she's mentioned several times in the scripture, we really don't know a lot about her. There are some that have speculated that she's the prostitute that Jesus uh, met with and, and saved from prostitution, but there's no indication in scripture that that's the same person. What we do know about her is that Jesus cast demons out of her. She was demon-possessed at one time. And her testimony was that I was one way, but now I'm another way. What changed in her life? Her encounter with Jesus Christ. And because of her encounter with Jesus Christ, it didn't just change her life, it changed her heart. Her heart's different. Remember, three days have passed. They're not going there to see a resurrected Savior. They're going there to embalm a body. You see, because when he died, there's was, there was two Sabbaths that week. And he died on Wednesday right before the high Sabbath. And so they couldn't do anything with the body then because they're not allowed to touch a dead body and deal with that on, on a Sabbath. So they had to wait. And on Friday, they would, it was probably the day that they went and actually were able to buy the things that they needed to be able to prepare the body. And then Saturday was another Sabbath. They couldn't do it again. So here's Sunday, first thing in the morning. When the sun comes up, the Sabbath is over. When the sun comes up, they're on their way to the tomb. That's the only thing on their mind. You see, Mary Magdalene had been possessed by demons and had been set free. And while others were hiding... All the manly men, the fishermen and the carpenters and all the tax men and all the manly men that had followed him, they're all hiding right now. Here's Mary Magdalene on her way to the tomb with the other ladies. She didn't care what people thought. She expected an encounter with the guards when she got there because she knew there was guards. Remember, they placed guards there because uh, they were afraid that somebody was going to try and steal the body. And so they placed guards at the tomb. So she knew there would be a confrontation or at least something happened between her and the guards. And she didn't care. She didn't care about that. She didn't care who saw her going to the tomb. We have too many closet Christians today. We have too many Christians that will come to church on Sunday morning and claim Christianity or they'll claim Christianity someplace else on Facebook or somewhere or put a fish on the back of their car and they'll claim to be Christians, but their life doesn't indicate it. There were quite a few people that had followed Jesus and claimed to be followers of hers, of his. But her and the other ladies, they're the ones that lived it. They're the ones that believed it. She had a heart change. It's time for us to be more like Mary. It's time for us to get up and start moving and living for Jesus Christ. Let's go to the second thing. Verse number two. It says, And behold, there was a great 
earthquake. Think about this for a moment. How many of you in this room can create an earthquake? If I stumble and fall on this hollow stage, you might feel a little something in the back. That's how I learned I was old, by the way. When I was young and I'd fall, people would laugh at me. Now, if I don't get up quick enough, people are already dialing 911 on their phones. So that means I'm old. So if you fall down and people don't laugh, you're old. But here there's an earthquake. This earthquake wasn't just to move the stone, because the stone had already been moved, by the way. This, was, this wasn't just to, to, uh, for the angel sitting down. This earthquake was an announcement. It was to gather attention. It was to show focus. It was to show the power of God over this situation. We need to remember how powerful our God is. This earthquake was a wake-up call. For three days, there's been depression and desolation. Three days, people have wondered, and God causes an earthquake to say, hey, I'm still here. I'm still in control. This is still my world. You're still my people. God made the heavens. God made the earth. God made the trees and the animals. God rules the kings and the kingdoms. He rules everything. He's not just the creator of everything, but he is the, the one who holds everything together. Scientists, they study, and they, sometimes they study big, and they go out in outer space, and they want to study big, sending things to Mars and other planets because they want to see the big picture. And then the scientists study small. And the microbiologists and all, they, they study tiny, tiny things that you can't even see. And they're, they're getting better and better at documenting what takes place, but there's a lot of things that they just don't understand. They don't understand the complexity of an atom. What keeps the protons and the neurons and everything in balance? What keeps the planets from crashing into each other? What holds everything where it's supposed to be? How it keeps perfect timing and perfect symphonies. Much more accurate than any watch that any man's ever built, from the big to the small. Our God is almighty. The God of that first resurrection Sunday is the same God as there is today. The same God that created the first human is the same God that created you. The same God that, that was on the throne at the beginning is still on the throne today. He's powerful enough to handle everything in your life. He's powerful enough to handle everything in your path. Can anybody here do a fraction of what he's already done? But yet we rely upon ourselves so much more than him. I, I point at myself too. I'm guilty of this. I was raised to be self-sufficient. I was raised to be, take care of yourself, take care of your family. And, and I fall into that trap sometimes that I'll be taking care of things and realize I never even talked to God about it. We've got to get better. We have a God that loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. Do you think he can pay a bill? Do you think he can heal a sore? Do you think he can heal a broken heart? Do you think he can bring comfort when we're depressed? Of course he can nothing compared to what he's already done. Don't feel bad. All through the Bible, we have a history of, of God's people forgetting what God has done for them. The Jews, after they left Egypt, just leaving Egypt should have been enough that they should have never have turned against God again. But then they get to the Red Sea and, oh, Moses, you brought us out here just to die? And Moses had to be sitting there saying, did you just forget all the plagues? Did you just forget everything God's already done for you? And now you're worried you might get wet? God parted the sea. They walked across on dry ground. 
By the way, it's not like it is in the movies where it's a few thousand people. There were millions of Jews. This wasn't just a, a little passage or a log they walked on. This was a huge, wide break in the Red Sea that they walked across. Shortly after they got to the other side, they started to murmur again and doubt God again. For 40 years. Actually, for hundreds of years. Even after they made it to the promised land. They went through cycles. God would send them a judge. God would send them a judge. They would, the judge would come, proclaim repentance. They would repent. They'd get right with God. The judge would go away, and they'd fall away from God again. It became a cycle. And many of us live that cycle. We need to get better at breaking that cycle. We need to get better at remembering that God is all-powerful. It doesn't matter what's right in front of you. It doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what you feel. God is still all-powerful. We have to keep moving. Verse number two. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Remember, the death of Christ, it's not final. We think of death as being the, the end in this world. I've known people that say, well, when I die, I die. And that's it. And that's not it. Death isn't just the end. Death is a new beginning. Some religionists don't believe that, that Jesus actually died. A number of pastors don't believe he actually died. They believe that he, he fainted. And the cool of the tomb revived him. I think they forget what happened to Jesus. Even if Jesus hadn't been crucified, he'd have probably died of his wounds. May have taken a little bit longer. But it wasn't just the crucifixion, it's the things leading up to it. After the, the mock trials and the fake trials and all, they scourged him. Pilate scour had him scourged because he thought, well, this will this will make the people sympathize with him. So he had him scourged. And if you don't know what scourging is, scourging is, is whipping, but it's whipping with a with a special type of a whip. It usually has nine, sometimes seven, sometimes some other number of ends on it. And each one of these ends along the along the, the uh, the whip, there would be pieces of bone and metal, anything sharp that they could weave in to the whip. And on the end, there'd be either a, a piece of metal or a piece of bone that was like a hook. And so when they would when they would whip the person, they would tie them to a tree or tie them to a log, and they would whip the person. It would each one of those bones would dig into his back, and then they would drag the whip across the back, opening up those incisions, and they would do it over and over. And over. There's a thought that they did it 39 times because the Jewish tradition was that they would do it 40 minus 1 because they felt that 40 would kill somebody. Unfortunately, 39 often killed somebody. 30 would kill somebody. I don't think I'd make it to 2. But the Jews didn't scourge him. The Romans did. And the Romans had no tradition of 40 minus 1. Basically, they would scourge till they got tired. And they scourged him. And they beat him. And they spit upon him. And they nailed him to a cross. They hung him in the sun for six hours. And he stayed in an airless tomb for three days. But he probably just fainted. It's the foolishness of trying to look at things, trying to look at godly things through the lens of the world. And we've got to stop trying to explain things, godly things, through the, through the world's eyes and start looking at them through God's eyes. We talk a lot about this in our Revelation study because 
some of the many of the things that take place in the Revelation, people will say, well, that's probably a nuclear bomb, or that's probably this, that's probably this. No, it's God's wrath. We have to stop trying to figure out earthly explanations for, for supernatural things. When we try to figure out earthly explanations for supernatural things, it elevates us and reduces God. God doesn't need an atomic bomb. God does exactly what he says. Jesus died. It's just that death isn't final. Death wasn't final for him and death won't be final for us. John 11.25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? See, death is just a transition from point A to point B. We've all experienced some type of death. I would imagine everybody in the room has. Somebody you love, somebody you care about, maybe just a casual acquaintance. And we've gone to the funerals and we've gone to the memorials and we've seen the bodies. I can't even count the number of hospital beds I've sat beside while somebody took their last breath. And it's traumatic for us because the person we love was there and now they're not there. It looks like they're there, but we know they're not. It's traumatic for us. It's hard on us. Because we never want to say goodbye to somebody that we love. Good news is that they've accepted Christ as their Savior. They're with Jesus Christ when they close their eyes here. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then when you close your eyes here, you'll not only be reunited with him, but you'll be reunited with them. We don't die into Christ. We just step into eternity. Number four. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Remember, they, the Romans had placed guards there because they didn't want the, the people to come and steal the body. They didn't want anything to happen. There were those that, that hated him. And they were afraid that those that hated him may come and, and harm the tomb or harm the body. And then there were people that were fanatics about Jesus Christ. They were afraid the fanatics would come and they would steal the body away and create this big myth. And so they placed guards there. These were Roman guards. These are, are Roman men who have, have spent their entire life worshiping false gods. These are Roman men who cast lots for the only possessions that Jesus Christ had, the clothes upon his back that gambled for them. These are the Roman guards that took the vinegar and put it to his lips. These are the Roman guards that stabbed him in his side. These are the Roman guards that, that, that scourged him and spit upon him and beat him and mocked him and now they see the power of God and they become his dead men. Everything they believed has just been changed. Everything they thought to be true is just gone. In a moment, they realize what they've done. The rebellion turned into reverence they couldn't even move they couldn't even move just days before they're strutting around proud of what they'd done proud of what they'd done to the son of God so this Jew that claimed to be the Messiah and now they're standing in full reverence to the point they can't even move one day we'll stand before God I don't think I'm going to have a lot to say either. But 
Not because I mocked him. Because he's God. Think of the, the angels that are around the, the throne room. They're around the throne and, and they're there night and day and yet the only thing that they can mutter, not that they don't have the vocabulary, not that they don't have the intelligence, the only thing that comes out of their mouth is holy, holy, holy. Faced with God for all of eternity, that's all they can say. It's holy, holy, holy. Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. Our rebellion, the world's rebellion, the rebellion of the sinners, the rebellion of the fallen saints, will turn to reverence in that day. Verse number 5. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Jesus has made a promise to us. Jesus made a promise while he was here on the earth. He has promised that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. On top of that, we have his Holy Spirit today. Jesus takes fear and turns it into faith. We don't have to fear the world. We don't have to fear the things that we don't understand. We can have faith. Even more so now. We don't even have to fear death. Because now we've got one who went away and came back and told us what it's like. Fear of the unknown is basically the root of most fears. They say the greatest fear in, the, in our country today is the fear of public speaking, what I'm doing right now. Maybe that's why I sweat so much while I'm up here. Or it could be I'm old and fat, I'm not sure. I have my air conditioner on. I can feel it too, thank you. We fear the unknown. I remember, this will date me a little bit, but some of you were right there with me. I grew up in Florida. And so we'd go to the beach, we'd go to the lakes, we'd, we'd swim. You know, I can't remember a time when I couldn't swim. I was talking to my wife about that the other day. And our, some of our grandkids, you know, they're, they're, I don't know if they know how to swim or not. So we need to teach them how to swim. But I don't remember a time when I couldn't swim. I don't can't remember a time when I was in and around water. Even if it was just an old polluted lake down the road. And I like the water. I like the beach. And then something happened. A movie came out. Remember the movie? Everybody, everybody's, oh yeah, you remember that movie? Dun, 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 dun. Now when I'd go swimming, even if it's in a freshwater lake, I was convinced a shark was coming to get me. <laughs> because you can't see what's underneath you. And when you can't see what's underneath you, it's unknown. You fear the unknown. As irrational as it may be, it doesn't matter. We fear the unknown. We fear public speaking because we don't know how people are going to react. And we fear death because we don't know what's going to happen on the other side. Jesus came back to tell us. Jesus came back to let us know. We don't have to fear. If we turn from our sins and turn to him, we'll be with him. We have nothing to fear. But I mean, death for a Christian is the ultimate victory. Because all the pain of this world has gone. We're finally set free. Verse number six, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Notice what the angel did? It's like you're here looking for him. He said he wasn't going to be here. Don't you remember? 
He told you over and over and over again he was going to rise up on the third day. But you're here looking for him. They needed to remember the words of Christ. We need to remember the words of Christ because Christ only speaks the truth. The Bible says that he is the, the tr way, the truth, and the light. The truth. That means there is no error. That means there is no lie. That means there is no trickery. What he says is 100% true. That's why many people don't like him. Because brutal truth sometimes hurts. We don't ever, you know, the big thing when I was when I was uh, when I was working in management, the big thing was you know that you'd solicit constructive criticism from your bosses, you'd solicit constructive criticism from the people that work for you, because it would help you get better. And I'm like, I don't want to hear that. Because I don't need that, I don't want that wake-up call. I don't want to know the truth. I'm fine being delusional and thinking everybody loves me. If I start asking people, they're going to tell me the truth. And brutal truth sometimes hurts. Kids are great about that. Kids, kids will share a brutal truth with you. Kids will walk up to you and say, you're fat. A little girl kept coming up to me. She's about five years old. She kept coming up to me and saying, you're fat. You're fat. And finally one day I said, yeah, well, you got a big nose. And she goes, and she leaves you. Ah! And she ran crying to her mother. And she started it. And she didn't have a big nose. It's just the first thing that came in my head. And, and I'm the bad guy. Right? One little thing. It's a true story. You can ask my wife. They used to be friends with us. <laughs> I read a story about a little girl. She went to the doctor's. And she's very nervous about being at the doctor's. Because, you know, doctors give you shots. Very nervous. So the doctor's trying to put her at ease. And he's sitting her at ease. And he looks in her ears. And he says, well, who, who's in there? Is that Mickey Mouse? And the little girl giggles a little and says, no. Doctor looks in her throat and says, well, who, is that Donald Duck in there? And the little girl's like, no. And she's starting to calm down a little bit. And then he, he looks and he, he says, let me, let me listen to your heart. What do I, is that Barney I hear in there? The little girl says, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. That brutal truth. That brutal truth. We need, to, we need to focus upon the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to focus upon his truth. We need to have a hunger for God's word. When we go a day without reading the Bible, it should disturb us. It should bother us. We should feel like something's missing. We should be, at the end of the day, thinking, what did I forget? I forgot something's not right. I feel out of sorts. I didn't read my Bible today. That's how we should be with the word of God. But too many of us are like, oh, I didn't read the Bible today. I'll read it tomorrow, maybe the next day. Do you ever forget to eat? Every once in a while, I'll forget a meal. B and I both forgot lunch the other day. It was like 4 o'clock. She's like, I'm hungry. I'm like, so am I. It's too early for dinner. And then we realized we hadn't eaten lunch. That's why we were hungry at 4 o'clock. So we had two dinners. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I've never gone all day and forgotten to eat. Unless I was really sick. But yeah, we'll go all day and forget to eat the Word of God. We need to hunger again. We need to cling to his promises. Verse number eight. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy 
and did run to bring his disciples' word. Remember what was happening. They were on their way to the tomb to prepare the body. We're, we're fortunate. We have people that do that for us. So when our loved ones die, we don't have to prepare their bodies. We have funeral homes and fresh professionals that that's all they do is prepare bodies. But in this culture, each family took care of their own. And Jesus was their family. So they're going to prepare the body. Imagine the anguish that was in their hearts on the way there. It's got to be the pain of, of, of preparing a body. It's got to be reliving the pain of the death all over again. It had been three days. They'd probably finally started to have that pain dulled just a little. But that wound's about to be reopened. And that's all they're thinking about when they get there. But Jesus took that anguish and turned it into joy. You know, our life is full of disappointments. Our life is full of heartache. Our road is, is one pothole after another pothole after another pothole. And we can choose to, to focus upon the disappointments of this world, or we can choose to focus upon Jesus Christ. Because he can take all those bad things and turn them into something good. We don't always see the good. But he tells us that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that he causes bad things. Don't misunderstand. He doesn't cause bad things just so that he can make good out of them. But he can take anything Satan throws at you and turns it into something good. I told the story before that my wife lost a child while it was still inside of her. She'd been to the doctors, and she was ready. I mean, it was, it was time. She went home. She started to feel like something wasn't right. Moms know. She goes back to the doctors. The doctor does his examinations again, and he says, baby's dead. No reason, no explanation, no understanding why. The baby was named, the baby had personality, everything about the baby was a real baby. But it died. You know, no matter what we say, guys, we don't really love our kids until we see them, until we can experience them. But moms? Moms know their children and love their children before they're born. How can that be good? We've seen some of the good come from that. Not enough. I know there's more. I know when we get to heaven, we'll see how there was even more good than we ever saw from that bad situation. God didn't cause that. God didn't need another angel. That's just foolishness. This wasn't an angel. This was a baby. A baby that was loved by its mother. A baby she still mourns to this day. Birthday's coming up in about a week. April 15th. It should get quiet on that day. I'll forget. I always do. I'm just a cold, callous man. I'll forget. I'll be like, what's the matter, baby? Nothing. And usually by the end of the day, oh, then I remember. So what good could possibly come out of that? 
we had a friend who was expecting her child. And she called me one evening, and she says it was late, woke us up, and she said, my water just broke. And the first response is, oh, well, that, you know, good, you're having a baby. And then I thought about it, I'm like, it's too soon. She was actually going to be, because she was considered to be a high-risk pregnancy, she was actually going in the following week, and they were going to deliver the baby early. I told her to call 911. We got in her car, and we drove. We got there about the, about the time she was being loaded into the ambulance. My wife got the ambulance with her, drove with her. She was able to spend the next two days at the hospital with her. Not doing much. Just being there. What do I do? How do I go in? A woman's lost a baby. How do I go in and say, I know how you feel. I'm not even close to knowing how you feel. And I can't even pretend that. And I know every situation is different. Every situation is unique. None of the same. But at least V can come up beside him and say, you're going to be okay. You're not alone. So we've seen some of the good. There'll be more when we get to heaven. There'll be more. Because Jesus takes that anguish and he turns it into joy. Our life's going to be bumpy. There's nothing we can do to stop that. But we don't have to go through the bumps alone. Jesus Christ will be there with us. Verse number nine. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Why did Jesus come to them first? Because they were the only ones looking for him. I'll talk to people and people will say, you know, I don't feel like Jesus is doing anything in my life. I don't feel like he's active in my life. And I'll tell them, say, well, you haven't been to church in six months. I'm guessing you're not reading your Bible either. How would you know if you ran into Jesus? You don't even know what he looks like. Jesus comes to those who are looking for him. That's why he came to them. Not because they were better than anybody else. They were sinners, just like me, just like you, just like the disciples. They were all sinners. They were sinners that came expecting a death and were shocked by a living Savior. So it wasn't like they were more knowing and more holy than anybody else, but they were searching for Jesus. They went looking. People say, I don't know where Jesus is. I tell them, he's going to be where you're looking at. Start looking, you'll find him. They expect him just to come to them sitting on the couch. Get up. You want to find Jesus? Get up. Start looking for him. How do you look for Jesus? Look for Jesus in the sermons. Look for Jesus in his word. Look for Jesus in love. Start serving someplace. Start serving the homeless or the orphans or the widows. Start serving those of our community that truly need servicing. You'll find Jesus. Or, appropriately, Jesus is going to find you. Jesus is looking for the prodigal son that returns. He's looking for the wanderers who come back. And he's looking for the lost. He loves you enough to meet you where you are, 
but he's not going to leave you there. A lot is made of the fact that Jesus ate with sinners and Jesus spoke to sinners and Jesus did a lot of things with sinners like Mary Magdalene. But one thing that they normally leave out of that equation is the fact that he met them where they were, but he didn't leave them there. He didn't come and minister to Mary Magdalene and say, you're going to be okay with those demons in you. That's how God made you. Just be strong in who you are. Follow your heart. No, he cast out the demons. The woman at the well, he didn't say, you know what? I'm sure your husband was abusive and he, he deserves for you to be with another man now. Or five. He didn't try and placate her right where she was. He said, you need to repent. And she did. Over and over again, he tells the sinners that he came in contact with, go and sin no more. There was a change. This Resurrection Sunday, we have an opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be resurrected today. That power that took him out of the out of the out of the tomb is the power that can set your soul. It can save your soul and put you on the path to heaven. If you're here today and you're a Christian, but for whatever reason you've kind of lost that fire a little bit, Jesus isn't real active in your life. Maybe you need to start looking for Jesus. Jesus isn't like an Easter egg. It's not hard to find. It's right there in front of you. Watch the little kids with the Easter eggs. Now you got to hide the, the older ones. you got to hide them real tough. But the little kids, you just kind of throw them out in the yard. And they still can't find them. Don't laugh at them. That's how most of you are with Jesus. He's right there. And you're looking up in the tree. Open up your eyes. Jesus wants to be found. He wants you to find him. He is desperate for you to find him. Will you look for him? Will you search for him?